and welcome to Just Plain Wrong, the podcast where three Mennonite librarians discuss depictions of Amish, Mennonite, and other plain groups in popular culture. I'm Tilly, your moderator for this episode, and with me are my co-hosts, Aaron and Abby. This is going to be another Mennonite miscellany episode where we make some corrections, answer listener questions, share some Mennonite moments, and just generally chat. Our first question came in via Facebook and asks, are Amish women responsible for yard maintenance, like mowing? And if so, why? Uh, we did some research, and our trusty go-to source of information, Joe Springer, of the Mennonite Historical Library fame, reports that you may often see Amish women mowing lawn, at least around Elkhart County, but that there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule anywhere. The frequency of women mowing in certain areas might be due to the number of men employed in factories and the way that women end up doing certain outdoor chores while they're at work. Some Amish communities do actually allow for power mowers, which would be easier for women to use and would mean that men wouldn't necessarily have to be the ones mowing the lawn. Uh, Presumably, there are Amish communities where power mowers would not be allowed. It also could be that mowing grass is sort of a garden-like thing, and because that's usually the domain of women, that's why they would end up mowing the lawn. You know, Joe did some digging in specific books, and there's not really any mention of the way that Amish communities decide what is and is not the domain of men and women when it comes to, like, household outdoor chores so you know it's it's possible that most amish women are expected to do the lawn mowing and it's possible that that is different you know one county line over um, it's interesting to think about how many amish communities i've lived near and yet i don't think i've ever observed or if i have observed i've never thought about the fact i'm observing an amish person doing yard work like thought about the gardening but i have never really yeah. and the gardening being the domain of women and kids usually but i haven't thought about the mowing interesting question though <laughs> it is sorry we don't have the greatest answer but <laughs> if anyone answers... listening knows <laughs> yeah all all answers about the amish can be boiled down to it depends uh -huh. yeah. mostly on your bishop <laughs> <laughs> and you know all right, our next question came via Instagram, and it's just, why are Amish weddings on Tuesdays? So again, we did a, little, did a little bit of research, and it sounds like Tuesdays and Thursdays are the most common days for Amish weddings, and it's really just kind of a pragmatic thing, like that way they have time to prepare the food, and it's cleaned up in time for church on Sunday. And I don't know if this is true, Tilly, but one source I found claims that Tuesdays and Thursdays are the, quote, least busy days of the farming week. And so that's why the Amish weddings are on Tuesday, Thursday. You look skeptical. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> farming is very, I mean, there's stuff that you can do during the weekday when other businesses are open that you might need to get things done. Tuesdays and Thursdays, are no different than Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and Saturdays in that regard. It, it's so much weather-driven, and it's so much about the time of year and who you have on hand available to do what task that you can't imagine <laughs> Tuesday or Thursday wouldn't matter. Extremely skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I thought you would be. It, I also found two other interesting tidbits about Amish weddings. One is that the couples stay in their 
parents' homes the night, one of their parents' homes. I guess I don't know whether it's the groom or the bride's home, but it's like, oh, that's not where I'd want to spend my first night of my marriage. Um, <laughs> and the, the second tidbit, also related to farming, um, was that the weddings are almost always held in the fall, like after harvest, because it's like the least busy, again, least busy time of year for at least the Amish groups that are primarily farmers. So I'd be curious if that's changed in like, like I think about the Goshen area where a lot of Amish are now like working in factories. Maybe they have weddings different times of years, different times of year yeah. now. I don't know. That reminds yeah. me of a story from my family. So my mom is one of 11. So, and she grew up on a farm and my, apparently several of her siblings, uh, her older siblings all got married in August. And my mom also got married at the end of August. And apparently, I think it was either after her wedding or maybe after someone else's, my grandma, who was heavily involved in these was basically, that's it. No more August weddings. I'm done <laughs> with August weddings because trying to do a wedding on top of everything else that happens in August, I think was um, quite a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the the weddings in my family have been in pretty much midwinter in part, I would imagine because of farming schedules. It's you can't be doing a whole lot outside and there's always work to be done. But if you need time off, either the middle of the summer where you can't control the weather and you can't replant your crops and you can't harvest yet, you know, you either take your time in the middle of the summer or in the middle of the winter, but you leave spring and fall alone because those are the times where you have to have the most flexibility. And we also got some questions about about us or things that we know. So this one came in from Instagram. Do we all know the joke about why Mennonites don't have sex standing up? And do we think this is the funniest, most well-known Mennonite joke? So I think we all knew this one. And in case you don't, uh, the answer is um, because it might lead to dancing, which we all know is uh, more verboten than sex. But this did make us think about what our favorite Mennonite jokes were. And luckily for us, Tilly had already been collecting them in a spreadsheet, which (laughs) is awesome. And I think it's that's like a... It's not a Mennonite moment, but it's definitely a librarian thing. So that was pretty exciting. So we're all going to pick one and read either one that we thought was very funny or maybe one that we just thought was particularly silly. All right. Well, I really like puns as well. Is this even a pun? I don't know. Let's just wordplay. You like wordplay. (laughs) (laughs) I I enjoy puns and wordplay. So this is the first one I have chosen. Why did the Amish woman divorce her husband? Why? He was was driving her buggy. (laughs) (laughs) Abby, how about your favorite? How was copper wire invented? How was it invented? Two Mennonites found a penny. (laughs) (laughs) I have a great fondness for many of the Mennonite jokes we have discovered over the last year. Right now, one of my leading contenders is why don't Mennonite women wear sleeveless tops? Why? They refuse to bear arms. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Probably followed up with uh, what do you call a group of Amish witches? I don't know. What? Dutch coven. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe someday we will get around to doing a, a longer episode on jokes. We have at least a dozen about how many Amish or Mennonite people it takes to screw in a light bulb. So it could go on for a while, I think. Mm -hmm. But moving on to another question about the podcast. 
Aaron's husband wants to know what we're going to write about when we inevitably get around to writing our Amish fiction book. What is its premise going to be? What character names will we use? Well, I don't know about writing uh, Amish fiction book. I will say if we ever do, we'll definitely take the premise of milking the MHL for all the money we can and probably make it, you know, a, a short series of short stories released individually so that they have to buy one copy of all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we'll make sure that it's that about a set of like seven children and each uh-huh. child will have a set of five novellas as they find love. Yeah, one will be a mystery series, and one will be just straight up romance, and one will probably have aliens involved, and you know, Ooh. another one will like I don't know, be hard boiled noir somehow, and another one yeah. will involve vampires, and then as and soon we'll- as we find we find another reason, it turns out that they're gonna you know become the step siblings to someone new so we can always make the family bigger by adding in step siblings and adopted siblings and cousins so we can just keep this going forever yeah mm-hmm. yeah um and we also have some names thanks to the amazing steve nolt who wrote in and told us about this short story by helen r martin who was, it was published in 1903 and he brought it to our attention in large part because of the amazing names it contained so i'm going to attempt to pronounce them but other people can join in if i get them wrong so Eli, actually, how do we even say that one? Say um, Eliafat. Eliafat Heinerschitz. I, I was thinking Eliphalat. Eliphalat Heinerschitz. Eliphalat. Heinerschitz. Eli. I mean, Eli. 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 Eli Folat. Folat. Heinerschitz. That's the best part. And then we also have Ebenezer Duttenhofer. Eli Seidensticker and Sam Shunk, which those are I all like Sam Shunk. Um, <laughs> I think we would definitely want to include those. Um, so that's something to think about. Well, and I think we should consider maybe as our first chapter in this amazing set of novella- novellas, revisiting that idea from, I think, the very first episode. Uh, where we, you know, sort of based it loosely on Abby's courtship with her husband, where they wrote letters to each other. Because I just, I'm not sure that the uh, the Amish newspapers, like that that's been really explored much as a, a vehicle for love. Like we could be sending coded messages to each other as scribes for the budget. Like, so they're writing their community updates, but somehow inserting like love notes. I think that could be really great. I love that mm-hmm. idea. And not just because, you know, I, I would I would get to claim credit for at least part of the inspiration. Ooh, and then there could be a subplot where you you know how like in older horror movies and stuff, villains are always like cutting up newspapers and mailing threat letters to like to the newspapers <laughs> to like yes. print. And then the staff of the budget's gonna have a moral dilemma about whether or not they should print this threat. And you know, like maybe it's towards the Amish community at large and the mystery needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. So many possibilities. Yeah, I don't know. I, we we've had no shortage. I I really should be writing them down somewhere. I was just thinking that there's one niche that hasn't been explored in it. We've got fairy tales. We've got all sorts of genre fiction. We've got cookbooks and devotionals, and we don't have a lot of graphic novels. There are some, but most of them are written in German. 
I've also um, only found one Amish sports themed romance. Oh wait, maybe two because I found one about a football player and one about a NASCAR driver. <laughs> I do oh, want wow. to read the NASCAR driver one, yeah. but that's an unexplored. <laughs> well, partly because it's very implausible <laughs> to imagine. <laughs> or, or we can do all of these things and we just make it a choose your own adventure book. Yes, Ooh. I like that. So many ideas. Good, that could be fun. Anyway, to, to move on to our next question, one came in on Instagram. When is Joe Springer going to be a guest on the podcast? And, uh, you know, we really want him on, but we're just we're waiting for the right moment because someone with Joe's, you know, knowledge base sitting in his head has got to be on for the right thing. So we're either going to have to make him read something he would never read or we're going to have to put together like a trivia game and see if we can play like Stump Joe you know, we, we don't want to make an invite to have him on until we know what will be the best way to demonstrate his brilliance. And as just sort of a, a note about podcasting in general, we really do enjoy having guests. And we, I think, had four our first season and we'll end up with four this season. But it is uh, a lot of work to have a guest. There's just all that extra admin stuff where we have to coordinate and make sure everyone can be there on the same date and you know, make sure they have the book and the right equipment and all that stuff. And it's a lot harder to edit. And you may have noticed that when we have a guest, sometimes the episodes are extra long. Our episodes have definitely grown in season two, but they grow extra and extra hard to edit. We have four people talking instead of three. So like we love having guests uh, and we definitely will have Joe on sometime. But in case you've ever wondered why we don't have more guests, uh, it's just a lot of practical reasons. We had a request come in for some clarification about different terms for referring to cows, sparked by the story that I told a few episodes ago. So from a farming standpoint, the word cow actually refers only to a mature female animal who has given birth to at least one calf. Outside of the farming community, we use cow to refer to all cows. Farmers would more likely say cattle. A bull, in contrast to a cow, is a male animal that is used to breed. A steer is a male animal that has been castrated and is mostly used for beef. A heifer is a female cow that has not had a calf. So, yeah, these are the terms. Cow for a female, bull for a male who can breed, steer for a male who cannot, heifer for a younger cow. Let's move on to uh, some responses. I, I don't you know, I said in our intro that we would issue some corrections, but I don't know that we made any particularly egregious mistakes that we actually have done up to, at least if they have, no one's told us. And that's all, that's on you listeners. If you let us continue <laughs> in ignorance. True. Um, yeah. So if, if you hear something that is wrong, say something. That's a slogan somewhere for TSA, probably. Uh -huh, I, was, um, I think that's what they tell you at the airport. <laughs> Uh, but we do have some responses from listeners to share. Um, so yeah, I had one just in uh, our episode on Forbidden Rumspringa. The listener wrote in to share based on their own experience growing up gay and conservative Mennonite. They thought that Kiara Andrews got the Amish better than most authors. They also read the books, uh, actually read all three. And uh, he thought it was pretty clear that she had spent time with gay men with Amish backgrounds and that she understood them. And he was also impressed with some of the uh, her descriptions of like the way that younger children looked up to their older siblings. And also, as we kind of mentioned in the podcast, some of the pain that can be experienced when those um, relationships are separated. 
Yeah, so we really enjoyed hearing that. And it's always fun to hear people's responses, especially if you end up reading the books that we uh, talk about in the podcast. We love to hear your responses if you agree, disagree with how we talk about that. So yeah, that was a fun email to get. As a follow-up to our episode on Amish Country Treasure, Joe Springer noted that we were maybe perhaps a little too harsh in our quickness to deem being red-haired or green-eyed as unlikely Amish traits. He notes that the main character in Rosanna of the Amish has both of these traits, and that that is one of the seminal works of Amish literature. So it is possible that Amish Country Treasure was making an allusion to an older staple of the genre. We don't know that we think that's probable, but it is possible. Well, I'm going to transition us then into Mennonite moments because my cousin uh, Susanna uh, wrote in. So she shared a Mennonite moment, which I thought was really great. Her basic, her re- version of Mennonite moments is essentially trying to get the most out of chicken. So in addition to, you know, doing the whole like roasting the chicken and then boiling the bones and doing it for stock, she was standing in the kitchen, removing the last bits of the meat that's now falling off the boiled bones and feeling proud of herself. Uh, when her husband came in and took a jar of pea colored liquid out of the fridge and said, By the way, if you're wondering what this is, it's the juice I drained from the can of mushrooms, just in case we want to use it. (laughs) And so I love this part where she said, and so he proved, as he regularly does, that although he grew up Baptist, he's even more Mennonite than me when it comes to not throwing away food products. And the best part about it, as she also said, is that the uh, she did end up actually using that mushroom juice in a um, stroganoff recipe. So I love that. So thanks, Susanna, for sending that in. I thought that was hilarious. And I also wanted to say that that is, I definitely have memories of my my dad when we would roast the Thanksgiving turkey, spending time on the like on on the on the like essentially bare bird carcass, sitting there mm-hmm. getting like the last little bits of meat off. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely identified with that story. I'm now pondering what other like canned goods you could potentially like reuse the juice for. Like I know you can use chickpea liquid That's for like thing. vegan meringue, but like should I save my bean juice for something? <laughs> like <laughs> well, there is a midnight moment that is not mine, but that is my grandmother's who I was visiting a few months ago. And she was making potato salad for me because she knows that the way that she makes potato salad is something that I think is delightful and that no other potato salad can compare. But instead of using apple cider vinegar, she used the juice left over from a jar of pickles. And oh. it was delicious. Oh, yeah. And so you can also use, I do use the juice left over from jars of pickles Absolutely. if you are trying to conserve things. Send us all your canned liquid. <laughs> We'll start our own cookbook. Stay tuned for season three, where we would devote an entire episode to which cans of juice, or which juice cans, cans juice, juice cans, canned goods, whatever. Which canned goods? Which canned goods leads to the best juice and how to preserve them? This could be like a whole little uh, a supplement to the the more with less. You know how so many cookbooks have those supplements? Like we could just do one that's just like. What can you make with stuff you can't justify throwing away? Yeah. <laughs> it should just be the name. Instead of more with less, it's like more with stuff you already have. Or just like more with canned juice. Like, who doesn't <laughs> want to do more with canned juice? More with canned juice, yeah. Potato salad, mushroom <laughs> juice would probably be good at stews or something. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, the stroganoff yeah. idea is good. Mm-hmm. I'll never, uh, I'll think twice now the next time I'm draining a can of something directly into my garbage disposal. <laughs> what do you do with the juice from olives, though? Because olives are contentious. I don't eat olives. Ew. That's a good question. <laughs> I, don't, I will confess, I have thrown away all the juice in every olive can that I've ever opened. What are you supposed Sadly. to do with olive juice? Like martini? I have no idea. I've been throwing it away for years. I, I just I don't... am suddenly realizing that I should probably be ashamed of myself for this. <laughs> well, I should definitely be ashamed for admitting now publicly that I, I, I'm not a picky eater, but I just really don't like olives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are, I, they are I, quite. It took me a long time to learn to like beets. Oh, I love beets. And mm. there, I feel like there are things, especially Russian Mennonite groups would just like look at me and just be like, what what have your parents done wrong? You can, nothing. Make, ca- you can make red cabbage borscht instead of beet borscht. I like beets now, but uh, for a while I was just, you know, why do people like these things taste like dirt? And then I guess I realized that I like the taste of dirt. <laughs> they're, they're earthy. They're not dirt. They're earthy. I prefer my dirt pickled. That's how I like oh, my red beets. True. Pickled beets are the best way to do beets. No, you guys just chop them up, roast them until they're just a little, like, almost burnt on top. Oh, I just, like, yeah, eat it's them good, up. but pickled. No. It's better. We are now a food <laughs> debate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which root vegetable will get you through the winter with the most amount of joy? <laughs> How long would it take for you to get tired of potatoes? The answer for me is never. I would never, oh, never. get tired of potatoes. There's so many oh, yeah. every day and be quite happy. As long as I had butter and salt, I think I'd be okay. Once I ran out of those, I'd start to get a little bit sad. Cabbage is also similar. Kitty that's cabbage. what I ate for dinner tonight. I ate like I just that's what I ate for dinner. A <laughs> <laughs> sauteed a head of cabbage and had some noodles, and it was delicious. And my husband made his, uh, the red coconut curry out of simply a season, oh, and it has cabbage, cabbage in it. So three for three. Well, getting back we to Mennonite moments it. instead of our digression on the way we treat food in our lives a yoder on facebook wrote in to say hey i'm a former mennonite and her parents and older siblings were amish they left for mennonite church she herself is no longer mennonite but she does say once a menno always a menno and she has a great story that she was reminded of when she listened to some of our earliest episodes of someone who came into her work when she was a bank teller she was working with someone else who was also a yoder And this customer asked if they were Midianite and wanted to know all about Midianite customs and beliefs. It just seems to me like they found an old biblical word from the Old Testament and decided that Mennonites and Midianites were probably the same. Uh, So so our um, listener had a good laugh out of it, and we have too. So I actually had my own... Uh, Mennonite moment, although I'm not entirely convinced it's a Mennonite moment and more just maybe a small town moment. I'm not sure. So this just happened fairly recently. We had lost our diaper bag. We didn't know where it had gone. And as you can, you know, we have two kids, one who still wears diapers. So, and prefers to do certain business outside the house. So having a functioning diaper bag is vitally important. So we were really puzzling over where this had gone. Uh, We had checked like all the places we had been and we didn't know where it was and then out of the blue like i think just last night or two nights ago i got a text from someone i know from my church and she said that someone who works at parkside which is a school nearby had found a diaper bag at the playground which makes total sense because that's 
definitely a place we could have left it. Then thought that this person probably knew us or might somehow realize that this bag was connected to us or something. And this is the part I'm kind of confused by because we don't really, we didn't have a lot of it. Like, I don't even think we had identification in the bag, but anyways, if we reached out to this person was like, Hey, do you know the owners? And somehow this all ended up with, they had our diaper bag and we were able to get it back. (laughs) And it just left me kind of in awe of how random, like, small town connections can yield to lost items being returned. So that's my Mennonite moment. Well, my Mennonite moment, this happened a bit ago. I had an appointment and one of the people I was meeting with had the last name Hostetler. So immediately I was like, oh, this person probably has at least some loose Mennonite connections, if not like is still Mennonite. But I was like, no, Aaron, we just recorded that episode of the Mennonite game. You really just, you know, keep it to yourself. Like you don't need to whatever. But as part of my interaction with this person, I had to give him my CV and literally like Goshen College uh, was at the very top of it. And immediately he was, I don't think he was an alum, but he definitely knew Goshen and definitely was Mennonite. And then we proceeded to play the Mennonite game for, for a good little bit. But I was proud of myself, but then also really thankful that he brought it up because of course I really did want to. I am turning up a blank to Mennonite moment. I guess I woke up in a house that I purchased from a person who was Mennonite, who I met through a Mennonite circumstance, and I walked to work at a Mennonite college where I went to work at the Mennonite library. So, you know, things I do, I do, you know, every weekday, but I, you know, that'll have to do for now, even though it's, it's not anything nearly as clever as like my grandmother's thrifty use of pickle juice. All right. Well, that wraps this episode up thank you to everyone who sent in questions if you did send in questions and we didn't get to yours or if you have others that you'd like to answer you can still send them in and we will try to get to them in our season wrap-up thanks for listening to this week's miscellaneous meninitery 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 i wrote that and i can't even pronounce why did i even write that i don't know uh We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, uh, hear about your own Mennonite moments, and to hear your recommendations, corrections, and other musings. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PlainWrongPod, or through email at PlainWrongPod at gmail.com. We always appreciate when people leave reviews and subscribe. That's how other people learn the podcast exists. Next week, we will actually be discussing three different books written by three different authors, but all with the same title, An Amish Second Christmas. Thanks for tuning in.